And I want you to, or rather James rather, chapter 5, James chapter 5 in your Bibles. And I want you to, in just a moment, I want to read through that passage. And uh, But before I do that, I want to announce this, that this is kind of a two-part series, okay? In other words, we've got a sermon series on prayer, correct? We're four sermons in. This sermon in the sermon series is part one of two sermons out of James 5. Because James chapter 5 is out of this world. It's out of this world. And so I want you to follow along closely. I want you to listen. I'm going to give you a lot of information. I mean, content is intense today. But we got to get it all in, all right? So if you need to worship God, raise your hands. And our ushers will get you one in the balcony on the main floor. Just keep them up. And they are coming quick all over the building. Thanks, guys. Tremendous. Just keep them up till you get one. You'll definitely need one today, all right? Here we go. James 5. Look at verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms or praises. Is any any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith. Notice the word pray or prayer is in every single verse in this text. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months, and he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. There's our text. We're not going to get through it. We're going to get through probably two, maybe three verses max. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. But before we get started, I've been wanting to do something that I have forgotten to do, and it's a bonus. It's like extra stuff here. So, Get ready to take some notes on some quick prayer helps. This isn't part of the message. This is like just some extra things to help you. Hey, we're, we're four weeks in. If you've been following us with this 40 days of breakthrough prayer, by the way, if you need a card, you can get one today. We brought some extras into the service. My wife has some. I've got some. If you want to kind of pick up where we have, where we are now, but I am really dealing with the Lord about it going another 40 days because I am just really believing God is working. I'm getting text messages from numerous of our church families. And you've heard my testimonies. My family and I are seeing some things happen that we just haven't seen like we're seeing it. And it's exciting. And it's, I think, because of the emphasis, the teaching, the learning, the experience of of, of getting before God in a fresh way. Yes, it's all been there. But sometimes it's it's just fresh and new, especially... uh, Sometimes denominationally, we, we get robbed of, 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 of biblical teaching. Not because we wouldn't believe it, but because tradition has robbed maybe a Baptist church or a certain kind of Baptist church of, of truth that is there and it's real and it's alive, but it's just neglected to be emphasized for whatever reason. So we're kind of getting through some of that stuff as God deals with us. So let me give you some prayer helps, okay? First of all, write this down. Prayer pattern. Is there a pattern that we can use in prayer? Well, for years, I just used the pattern, go ahead, yeah, there you go, the pattern of what's called ACTS. I just used that that word, ACTS, A-C-T-S. But 
in the midst of my praying through this 40-day breakthrough prayer, I've kind of rearranged something. Instead of acts, I'm going with cats. I don't like cats. But I am convinced even scripturally that confession comes first. And I'll tell you why. Because I do believe that confession of sin, getting clean, going before God and saying, God, I am sorry. Wash me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. I'm going to come before you in adoration. And I'm going to come before you in in thanksgiving and in supplication. And I I need your forgiveness. And so we, we begin with confession. And then we move on to adoration. And this is thanking God for who he is. Or, or maybe we should say it like this, praising God for who he is. Who is God? He is awesome. He is everlasting. He is my deliverer. He is the prince of peace. He is, he is, he is my salvation. When you begin to, to recognize the awesomeness of God, it brings you into a different mindset that you're not just talking to anybody, some just regular person. This isn't just anybody. This is God. And to adore him is to prepare your heart to go deeper in prayer. And then the letter T is thanksgiving. C-A-T, confession, adoration, thanksgiving. I begin to thank God, praise God for who, for what he's done. Not just for who he is, but what has he done? I mean, God has done so much. This morning, I thanked God for things he has done for me in the past 24 hours. You know, I can't get much beyond that because the list would just go on and on and on. You know, sometimes I think we, we tend to be discouraged in the moment. And could it be because we're not taking time to thank God for what he has even recently done for us? So you ask somebody, how's your day? Huh? I've seen better. Really? Have you really seen better? Are you alive? Well, yeah. Well, does that count for something? You know? I mean, do you have family? Do you have people that love you? Are, you? are you still saved? Do you have a church family? In other words, we tend to forget in the moment all that God has recently done for us. And it can cause depression and discouragement and, and really, truly not an honest assessment of, of how your life really is. And so, thanksgiving. And then finally, supplication. S. That's petitioning God. That's when I get down to asking Him specifically for And that's a, that's a big part of prayer. Sometimes the asking part is the longest part of my prayer. Sometimes it's the shortest part of my prayer. I get so caught up in my confession and my adoration and my thanksgiving that... I, I, don't, I, I, I don't really need as much as I thought I needed. And I, I don't have to ask as much as I would normally ask. But I do, I do supplicate before God and ask him for things. What about a plan? Is there a prayer plan? Well, let me give you a good one. Here it is. You ready? So we've talked about a pattern. A plan is, number one, alone. The secret to prayer is prayer in secret. You've got to have a long time with God. Nothing wrong with praying with other people. But I do believe that the greatest time of prayer is you and God alone before God. Number two, kneel down because posture promotes humility. Scripture teaches often that, that, that we are to humble ourselves before God. It doesn't mean that I can't pray while I'm walking or singing or, or, or driving, but it does mean that when I have that alone time with God and I get in a position of a posture of humility, that my prayer can be so much more powerful and meaningful. Thirdly, out loud, at least a whisper. At least a whisper. I mean, you know, when you pray out loud like this morning, eh, kind of a rough morning. My wife and I had a little, we, we're, we're, I think we're through it. You think, honey? You, you, you okay? Glorianne woke up at 4 a.m. So we were up. And it was a little hectic around our house early this morning. And, and, and so, <laughs> no, it's okay. No, I'm not, I'm not preaching on bad attitudes. Don't worry. And... Uh, <laughs> 
She said, you can tell them. No. <clears throat> so we, we, we were up early. And, uh, but you know what I've learned is that I can pray out loud with glory in and, and, and she doesn't care. I mean, she's fine with that. She, she, she's not, you know, totally, you know, she doesn't think I'm interrupting her or talking over her. She actually likes the, you know, the talk, but I can't talk loud if, if everybody's sleeping. So I just whisper, but, but it's so much easier to focus when my prayer is, is, is out loud, even if it's a whisper. So learn to pray out loud. And then finally with a list. Use a daily journal. Have a journal. Everybody should have a prayer journal. It's just that simple. Have something to write your prayer request down and your things that you're thankful for. You know, I thought about this. One day when I'm gone and in heaven and it's all over, my kids are going to go look in my office and find dozens of prayer journals. And they're going to be able to look and see that dad prayed for them every day. And, and, and my new daughter-in-law will see her name there for the past several months. Tiffany, 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 praying for grace, praying for peace, praying for strength, praying for God's will. It's amazing. And, and, and this, this is the kind of thing that I think the heritage that we can leave to our kids is that we were men and women of prayer because we wrote our prayers down. So it's, it's just a, a good practice. And journals are very, very important to your prayer life. There, there's a whole row of journals at Lifeway. You can get them online. They're a big part of your prayer life, I believe. So use... Uh, get a list and use that pattern. All right, number three, what about a prayer partner? Well, I know God's your partner. I understand that. And we talked about praying alone. But you know what? The hardest moment of prayer is the first moment. It's just the truth. I, I, I think you'd agree with me that I want to pray. I really do want to pray. But, but starting, it's the toughest part. So many things get in the way of my starting my prayer because life's busy. Things happen. I'm tempted to, to, to look at my phone or to take care of this or to check this or check that or check the email. It's just so many things this morning, an unexpected early morning. All these things can pull us away. So a prayer partner can be a big help. Learn to pray with your wife, an accountability partner, a mentor, a friend. If you have a prayer partner, it is a precious thing. It's a precious thing. And then... What about your prayer pace? Let's talk about that for just a minute. Just some quick prayer helps here. Your prayer pace. What am I talking about when I say the pace of your prayer? Well, let's look at Jesus. Wasn't he not the best prayer of all time? Nobody prayed or has ever prayed like Jesus. Remember before the greatest event in human history, the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that story? He prayed, the Bible tells us, for how long? For one hour, right? No trick questions with me, I promise. One hour. And so the Bible says that he went to see if his disciples were praying. And what were they doing? Knocked out, sleeping, gone, snoring, snoring logs, man, they're gone. So he goes, he kind of wakes them up. Couldn't you pray with me for one hour? And uh, they probably try to stir a little bit. And then he goes back and prays. Scripture says he comes back to check they're sleeping again. He finally just says, sleep on. He goes back and prays for who knows how long in that garden. But I got to thinking about that. An hour is a long time. I have prayed for an hour a few times in my life. Not many. Don't know that I've ever prayed for two hours straight. Again, being transparent and honest. But I do know that I've prayed five minutes thousands of times. What's wrong with that? You ever taken your phone and just put five minutes on and just press start and just pray for five minutes? Longer than you think. Maybe it's longer than you think. I remember when I was a young boy, I heard a preacher preach a sermon. And in the sermon, he said, I pray for 20 hours a week. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, 15 years old. I said, I'm going to, I told my mother when I got home, mom, I'm going to pray for 20 hours a week. Uh, she said, why? I said, well, a preacher prays for 20 hours a week. And I want to be a, I want to be like that. 
And she said, oh, okay, well, good luck. And, uh, and so I, uh, I had basketball practice and came home, did my homework, and, 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 and ate dinner. And I started to pray at 8 o'clock. I figured I was going to pray Monday through Friday, 4 hours, 8 to midnight. And then Saturdays were busy anyway, so I could just pray shorter on Saturday and Sunday, but, but four hours a night. So I started, 8 o'clock, started praying, and uh, I fell asleep. <laughs> my mother comes by, uh, sees me sleeping, doesn't wake me up. I wake up the next morning, I'm sleeping on the floor. I say, Mom, what time did I go to bed? She said, I think about 8.30. I said, I prayed 30 minutes? Mom, I've got to pray seven and a half hours tonight to get caught up. And she said, well, honey, that's not my problem. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I said, well, mom, you've got to help me. I mean, it just, if I'm sleeping, wake me up. Next morning, I, uh, next night, I started a little bit earlier, 7, because I had to pray till like 1.30 in the morning to get caught up, get back on pace. So I started praying. Uh, I, I think I prayed 30 minutes, fell asleep. Mom walks by, sees me sleeping, doesn't wake me up. I wake up the next morning, I'm freaking out. I've got to basically pray all night now to, to get caught up. And mom says, she says, honey, why are you trying this? I said, well, mom, you know, it's... This preacher said he prays 20 hours a week. She goes, well, well, how old is he? I said, I don't know. Pretty old. You know, I'll be careful. Trust me. Get in trouble there. She says, well, how old are you? I said, well, I'm, I'm 15. She said, why don't you try five minutes every day? She said, you know, I, I don't know many five, 15-year-olds praying five minutes every day. That'd be pretty awesome. I said, but mom, I want to I pray, pray, pray like he prays. She said, oh, maybe one day you'll... You'll get there, but, but right now, just pray five minutes. And I did that. And then five turned to five and a half minutes, and then six minutes, and then seven minutes, and eight minutes. And I remember as a teenager, I was not out of my teen years, when I had known and experienced the joy of praying for an hour. I remember where I was and in a gymnasium one night late on my face before God for one hour. But it started with five minutes of prayer and the pace picked up and I got a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. But it took me some time to get there. Start somewhere. Start a prayer pace. But remember, prayer is work. It takes time. Don't let the fact that you're not where you want to be keep you from taking steps forward in your prayer life. Number five, prayer particulars. Now, I'm going to give you one statement that I learned last week at the homegoing of Cliff Kaufman. If you were here, then what you saw was Cliff giving his testimony, right? Quick recap. Remember this? It was awesome, wasn't it? Was that not awesome? Cliff's talking to us. You know, he's in, he, it's almost like, you know, he that is dead yet speaketh. You know, he was sharing us his testimony. Cliff talked about getting saved. He said, the preacher said, Cliff, I'm going to pray you get flat on your back till you get saved. He said, man, kind of made me mad. And then he talked about how that he didn't get saved that one Sunday, went out to eat a hamburger, and it felt like dough in his throat. Remember that? And he went, he went home to watch TV, and he couldn't concentrate, tried to take a nap, couldn't sleep. He said, man, by the time the evening service came, he said, if that door would have, wouldn't have been open, I would have torn it down to get saved. I was so right, you know. And he got saved that night. I want you to think about this. Here's the thought. Instead of praying for the end, pray toward the end. In other words, maybe instead of praying that the unsaved would be saved today. God, save them today. God, save my prodigal son and turn him into Billy Graham. Can we just pray that he'd come to church first? You see, I think we look sometimes to the end instead of praying toward the end. Maybe let's pray that our unsaved loved one would have a sleepless night. God, don't let him go to sleep. God, don't let him go to sleep till they get saved. 
Maybe we could pray for uh, um, the means to an end. Maybe we could pray for a positive conversation to take place that, that, that would lead them to be thinking about salvation. Pray for the end. Or rather, instead of praying for the end, pray toward the end. Now, let's jump in. You ready? Those are some prayer helps. Here it is. James 5. We're going to get through two verses. Verse 13. What do we pray about? Let's learn what to pray about. Number one. Notice in verse 13, it says, Is any among you afflicted? Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. I want you to write this down. Pray for your, first of all, emotional health. Pray for your emotional health. Now, let's learn about that. What do I mean by emotional health? Well, first of all, it does say that is any among you suffering? That's a rhetorical question. In other words, a rhetorical question. It has an obvious answer, kind of like this. Are the Razorbacks going to make a bowl game this year? No. Thank you. Okay. It's a rhetorical question. Is any among you suffering? Answer, yes. Yes. In a room this size, it would not shock me if everybody is not suffering emotionally in some area. Something. I was thinking about a, a young man that called me this week from our, in our college. A good boy, good Bible student. Said that his dad, is, uh, he, he just found out two days ago that he has 20% of his heart that's functional. And the young man is really having a hard time. And he's struggling even just to stay here because he knows his dad is struggling to to stay alive. And he's hurting. He's not sick, but emotionally, it's it's really draining him. I I wonder if everybody here, if it was something that you thought about for just a few moments, it, it could, you'd get emotional. You see, all of us have something going on inside. That, 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 that some suffering. There's something that we're, we're working through in our emotions. And so the word in the Greek ha- actually has the reference not to physical pain, but to, en- to enduring evil treatment by people. In other words, if you were to study the book of James, beginning in chapter 1, even verse 1, and work your way through, you would find that, that, the, that the Christians were being persecuted. There was a lot of things being said and criticisms and, and, and things that even like maybe we're experiencing here in our own country, we sense the pressure to, to, to be a Christian and to believe in Jesus and to take a stand for what's right. And we kind of sense that even today as we live. They were going through that back then and it was an emotional draining thing on them. And instead of finding a fleshly solution, we're learning in this passage to lean on Jesus. Let him who is suffering pray. That's the first thing we should do is go to the Lord and lean on Jesus. Number one, first thing before anything, pray. Number two, it says, is anybody cheerful? Another rhetorical question. Anybody here, Mary? Anybody cheerful? Sure. Man, there's a lot to be happy about. Amen. Isn't that what we just did? We worshiped. In fact, it says, is anyone you cheerful? Let him what? Sing. That's what we just did in the service. We actually participated in praising and singing about God because there's something to be happy about in a world full of suffering, in a world full of pain, in a world full of hurt. We've got a God who's on the throne and in control. And so we can come in and sing, death was arrested and my life began. Amen. We can come in and sing songs like, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Let thy mercies never cease. 
I mean, God's been so good in the midst of all of my problems. There's still something to be cheerful about. And I can come to church and raise my hands. Yes, I'm hurting. Yes, there's things in my life that, that I need to take before the Lord. But there's also some things I can raise my hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Is any among you Mary? Anybody here cheerful? Let him praise. So we've got these two words, pray and praise. Interesting how they go together because in suffering or celebration, our choice to pray and our choice to praise has immediate and lasting results towards our emotional health. You want to get stronger emotionally? Learn to pray and learn to praise. Now, what are some of the rewards of that? I want to give you a quick list here. First of all, relief. Relief, man. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Oh, it's like, man, I feel better. Whew. I mean, it was a heavy burden, but I brought it before the Lord, and I just feel better. I always feel better when I pray. You ever felt that way? You know, I always feel better. I've got peace. Some of the burden's gone. And number two, greater faith. You think differently about future burdens. It gets easier because God's building your faith. He's increasing your faith. And then what about this? Confidence. Come boldly to the throne of grace. All of a sudden, we begin to come to God, and we're kind of expecting God to work. I mean, he's worked in the past. He's never let us down. He's never going to let, never going to let me down. Did you believe that? You know what that is? Over and over again, singing that over and over again. I know some, some people don't like when it's repeated over and over again. But can I tell you what that is? That's just confidence. That's just like he's not going to let us down, and this is how much we believe it. God's never let me down. God's never failed. And you get that in prayer. Number four, peace. The peace that Butch talked about before the message. You know, Paul and Silas were the best examples of this in all of Scripture because they were in prison. And look what they were doing on the screen, it says. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises. And the prisoners heard them. They were in prison, in stocks and bonds. Has anybody here got it worse than that? And if you know anything about the kind of prison they were in and what they were experiencing, it's not hard to study that out and to research what that would have been like and what they were experiencing while they were praying and praising God. You feel a whole lot better about your problems and you feel like maybe I can do what they did in my circumstance. God begins to meet you right where you are. Let me give you four things in reference to your burdens. Number one, tell God how you feel. Tell him how you feel. Yesterday in our couples retreat, one of the lessons was on this. The, the, the teacher said, say to your spouse, say, I feel, and then fill in the blank. Open up. Open up to your spouse. Pour your heart out to your spouse. They feel like that. They, they taught us that one of the biggest problems in marriages is, is, is they're not honest and open in their relationship. They're holding things in and that's causing them to go in different directions. And before long, they, 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 they don't even realize how far they really are apart and living in two different worlds because they've not opened up. I feel and then share it. How do you feel? God says, I want you to do that with me. Tell me how you feel. You say, well, God knows how I feel. Yeah, but we need to know that God knows how we feel. And so open up to God. Number two, Ask him to, to, to search your heart for why you feel that way. God, why do I feel this way? I know you're good. I know you've never let me down. Is it unconfessed sin? Could it be that I've got some unresolved issues in my life? Am I bitter towards someone? God, show me why I feel this way. And then thirdly, turn your thoughts toward God. Just turn them towards God. It's what we did in worship today. 
we turned our thoughts towards God. For 15 minutes, we just worshiped. And we turned our hearts towards God. That's what that's all about. And then number four, read a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. Read a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. There's something about the psalms and reading it out loud and thanking God like the psalmist thanked God that changes a lot of the way you look at your emotional health. So number one, pray for emotional health. Number two, pray for physical health. Pray for physical health. Notice in verse 14 it says, is any sick among you? Now there's different, there are, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's false teaching. Because there are some that like to say, you know, well, bless God, if he's right with God, you never get sick. And they get this false impression. It's somewhat of a prosperity gospel, not just monetarily, but almost physically as well. And they relate everything to sin if you're sick, which is false. And I'll share that in just a moment. We know here that this was speaking of literal physical sickness. Because if you look down in verse 15, it says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall what? Raise him up. So we already know this is speaking of some kind of physical suffering because God is going to raise this person up. So what do I do scripturally? Let's learn. Let's learn together. What do I do when I'm sick? Well, the Bible tells us. First of all, it says, is anybody sick? Let him call. It doesn't say let the preacher call. It says let him call. And so it kind of puts it on us. You know, so many times we see people get bitter because somebody didn't call. Well, you know, I was sick and you never called. I was this and you never got a hold of me. And I understand your feelings, but Scripture does say that you're responsible for calling the prayer line. Or you're responsible for calling the preacher. Let him call. Think about that for just a moment. The responsibility lies in the person who who desires to be prayed over. Number two, let him call for the elders. So we're supposed to call for the spiritual leaders of our church. And notice the plurality of leadership there. It doesn't say let him call the elder. It doesn't say let him call the pastor. It says let him call the elders. So there's plurality here. We have in our church five elders. And this is a new model for us, about two years old. So we're still kind of part of why I'm teaching these things. And so that the culture of our church will begin to grow into what we are trying to be. And that is not... We have a lead pastor, we have a senior pastor, and, and, and for 23 years, that's how the motto was. But now that we've, had, we've got some other men in the church that are serving alongside me, then if I'm out of town, it's okay. There's four other elders, you can call them. You say, well, who are they? Well, that's part of our problem. We need you to know. They're on the website, they're in our elders directory. We've got them, we, we make sure you should know who they are. Butch Fry, who just prayed, he's an elder. You say, well, I don't know them as well as you. Well, you can get to know them more by not just being dependent on maybe just one person who may not be able to be there every time. So we call the elders of the church. We get all their cell phone numbers. We know how to get a hold of them. And then it says this, let them pray. So let it, we call, we call the elders, and then we, we pray. The emphasis is to pray. The purpose for going to the elders is for prayer. Not oil first, Prayer first, not even healing first. Prayer first. Let him pray. pray. Prayer is asking God to do what only he can do. Okay? And then it says this, anointing with oil. Wow. Anointing with oil. Kind of almost sounds just a little bit unusual here. I mean, you feel, you know, uh, pr- preacher, what, what, what do you... Now, now, wait a minute. Now, you know we're a, we're a Baptist church with a capital B, don't you? 
Once you get into all that spooky stuff, well, that's, that's our problem. Our problem is we, only, we want to pick and choose what we believe in the Bible. And if something sounds a little different, we get a little nervous. And we're Baptist born, Baptist bred. When we die, we'll be Baptist dead. Well, I got some news. You're dead already, okay? I mean, you're, you're, you're living in a, a world of tradition that, 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 and you're so comfortable that, that it, it, let, me, let, me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Ten years ago in 2007, I was under some Holy Ghost conviction about the church and me and who I was and what I was learning. And, and I was just torn to pieces. And I'd read a book by Jim Cimbala about prayer and the Holy Spirit. And, and man, it was so moving. And I thought, man, I've just never experienced any of that. I mean, I've, I mean I, I've done, you know, opening prayer, song, announcements, song, offering, prayer, message, closing prayer, dismiss. Don't waver from that. Stick to the script. I've never gotten off script. And I got in this, to this point where I, you know, I didn't want to go any other churches because I just didn't want to be uncomfortable, you know, I mean. And so I read this book and I was uncomfortable. And I thought, I got to see this for myself. So I didn't tell anybody but my wife. I bought a plane ticket and I flew to New York City. And I said, I'm going to go to this guy's church on a Tuesday night because he has this prayer meeting on Tuesday night, right? Jim Simple still has it, by the way. So I fly to New York. I, 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 I take a cab to the Marriott Hotel, which was two blocks away from, from Brooklyn Tabernacle. And I wanted to get there early for the Tuesday night prayer meeting. So I got there at 6, and the service started at 7, and I was totally blown away because they had six doors that went into this 5,000-seat tabernacle. They bought a 5,000-seat theater in downtown Brooklyn. And and people are coming out of the six doors, wrapping around the building. I mean, like hundreds of people coming out of the doors. And I'm thinking, oh, I flew all this way. I'm not going to get in. I mean, this place is packed. I'm not going to get in. So I walk up to the usher by the door. And, you know, again, people lined up. And I said, sir, I said, is this, is this like the line to get seats tonight? He said, oh, no, this is the line for prayer. You see, many of these people have been standing in line since 4 or 5 o'clock. They get off work and they come for prayer. And the elders of the church are up front. And they're anointing them with oil and praying over them for emotional heal, heal, healing and physical healing. I said, oh, okay. It's a little different. I said, uh, so I can get in, right? I, I'm good on the line thing. Okay, I'm fine. I feel good. Mentally, I'm good. Physically. <laughs> I'll pass on the line. Can I just get a seat, you know? And I walk in and get my seat, you know, and I waited an hour. And Cimbala walks out, the pastor, and he just says, hey, everybody, so good to see you. I know there's still hundreds in lines. Listen, if you would, please, go ahead and have a seat. But we will stay after the service till midnight. I mean, Ken Wagner. You ever seen Ken after church? I mean, he's ready for you to get out so you can turn the lights out. Can you imagine? Midnight. Midnight. Hey, we'll pray. Don't worry. If you need prayer, we'll stay. I mean, I'm thinking, man, I've never heard anything like this. And so I sit there and everybody gets seated and they start praising God. I had never raised my hand in church except for to vote at a business meeting. You know, they start raising their hands. They're praising God. And I'm 5,000 people in downtown Brooklyn. And, 
And I got so caught up in that moment and that worship, I began to praise and worship. I'd never done it. I mean, it was hard at first. It was like, you know, I know I'll, this, this, I know I'll feel better if I could just do this. And I did it, and I did feel better. And, and then he taught a little small Bible lesson, and then he just said, hey, you know what? I just feel that if you're a guest, would you stand? I'm like, oh, no. <sighs> oh, I got to stand. And so I'm like, you know, I mean, sheep, as I stand up, I'm like, you know, oh, Lord, help. No, I don't need any slaying in the spirit. I don't need to get out in the aisle. You know, and I'm thinking, this is, oh, my goodness, it's over. And I'm standing up, and he just said, hey, if you're sitting, if you're a member of our church and you're sitting next to somebody standing, would you just stand with them and ask them to give you 10 prayer requests, things that they're they're burdened about? Before I could even think, an African-American woman stood next to me, and she said, sir, my pastor wants me to get 10 prayer requests. Could you give me what's burdening you right now? I sat down and gave her 10 things to pray about. In about three or four minutes, she said, now let's do this. If you're a guest, would you step out to the aisle? And if you took their request, would you step out with them? And I just want to lay hands on them, anoint them with oil. If you're anywhere near them, would you come around them? Let's just pray five or six minutes over these folks. They're here tonight. God, let them hear. This is, this is obviously God's sovereign will tonight for us to pray over these people. And I wept as as total strangers, and they weren't strangers. They were brothers and sisters in Christ, in the body of Christ, part of my family. They're praying over me. I'm crying. I'm weeping. This is 2007. I didn't come back and tell you that. You'd have freaked out. I already had enough people leaving the church back then over like nothing. I mean, they would, they would, they would leave if we sang with a guitar or uh, drums. That would freak people. I mean, I had people leaving left and right over any little change. If I were to come back and say, Step up into the aisle. We're going to anoint you with oil. You'd be like, oh, pastor has lost it. I'd have had nobody. Carol Ann would have left. She'd be like, honey, I, you, I, hey, I'll go so far, baby. I mean, this, when you try to turn a ship as big as this one was, it's like a Titanic. And I'm turning this thing ever so slow. And while we're turning slowly, we're losing people. They're falling over and leaving. And you're trying to, no, please, I love you. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it. I'm out of here. And you stayed. You hung in there with me. I thank you for it. Because I'm telling you, and by the way, the people that left are the best people in the world. We met a lot of them the other day at Cliff's home going. It's not about, it's not about that. It's not about they're wrong and we're right. It's not about that. That's not the issue. The issue is not who's right, who's wrong. The issue, we're all right. If we're serving God, if we're loving Jesus, then we're all right. We may be, feel more comfortable in a particular setting. We may, we may be enlightened scripturally to, 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 to move towards some things that, that, that we've been away from. And again, it's not me to judge. It's, I'm just telling you my journey. And when I got in that service and, and experienced what I experienced, I realized that I want some of that for our church. And it's been a long time coming. And so preaching this series on prayer has been eye-opening to me because I feel this. I feel that something's happening that's different and it's unusual and it's not normal. And it's not just like, I don't feel like prayer is going to be like just normal anymore at our church. I think it's going to, it's going to be big. It's not going to start today, but over the next weeks and months, I don't know. I just feel like we're actually going to become a house of prayer. I actually think it's going to happen this time. I really do believe that it's not going to be a strange thing for, for, for us to have prayer meetings or people to pray with one another. It's not going to be weird. Like if all of a sudden, you know, 
Brother Posey and Brother Pittman are over here just praying at the altar. And we're not going to be like, oh, that's kind of weird. What are they doing? No, no, they're, they're praying together. They're brothers. Instead of saying, hey, I'll pray for you, brother, and never do it, they're just, they're just actually saying, I'll pray for you right now. That's a good thing. And so this anointing with oil is something that, that, that we've got to address in Scripture. So what are three options for anointing with oil? Well, here's the options. Number one, is it medicinal? Is there something about the oil? Like, for instance, in some situations, there is a medicinal feature with olive oil. And I, I believe that. But, but in the context of the scripture, is it medicinal? Is, is the elder like a, a spiritual leader and like a doctor? No. No, there, there's no medicinal teaching here. Is it figurative? In other words, could it be that when it says anoint them with oil, it doesn't really mean like literally anoint them with oil. No, not literally, but just talking about figuratively. Like, you know, I mean, like, like, like just sort of like something like this, not really. That, no, 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 no. It, it, it's literal. It means anoint them with olive oil, real oil. You know what it is? It's symbolic. That's what it is. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you 1 Samuel 16, 13. Let me show you one of... Dozens of verses. Just one. I like this one the most because it talks about David getting anointed as king. And it says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of the brethren, him, David. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. It was symbolic. It wasn't the oil, but God uses symbols sometimes. Like for instance, the cross. Does that, does that lift that screen for just a second, Nathan? Can you lift it for just a second? See that cross up there? That's just a symbol. That's all that is. It's a symbol. How many of you like crosses? I do too. But does that brown thing save us? Does that have any saving measure in it? I mean, if you look at that, I'm saved. Oh, I looked at the cross. No, no, no. It's a picture of something that we do in our hearts. We trust Jesus. He died on not that cross, but a old rugged cross. We, we see the cross as symbolic. This pulpit, you can put it down. This pulpit. What is this pulpit? Do, is this scriptural? Does the Bible say you must have a pulpit? No. People freak out about the pulpit. I mean, we used to have a pulpit that was so big, if you lifted it, you, you broke a disc in your back. We have people in our church right now walking like this because they, they were at our church back then. <laughs> well, somehow, somewhere, by the way, this pulpit has been one of those things that I had to move slowly too. I had to go like, had the big pulpit, then a little smaller pulpit, then a little smaller. Finally, I got this and everybody's like, you know, they don't even notice it anymore. Because there was a time when this was like, the pulpit was like, well, God, if you don't have a pulpit, what's wrong with you, preacher? You ain't no man of God. But can I tell you, you don't have to have a pulpit. You can just, you, you don't have to have anything. But the pulpit is there to represent the centrality of the word of God in the church. So the pulpit sits here with my Bible just to simply say a message. It's symbolic. It's not scriptural. It's not, we don't have to have it, but we have it at our church. And I enjoy a pulpit. I like a pulpit for a lot of reasons. But one reason is because it is the central part in the auditorium that directs our attention to God's word. It's symbolic. Let's move on. James 5, 14. I'm going to finish on time. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith. It's not the oil. All symbolic. It's the prayer of faith that will save the sick. You see, the only prayer to pray is the prayer of faith. 
There is no other prayer. If you pray without faith, you're not praying. James chapter 1 teaches us something about that. Let me read you a couple of verses. I'm sorry I don't have them on the screen. That was, that was my fault. In James 1 it says, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. But he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. If a man prays without faith, he should not expect to receive anything from God. But if he prays even with as much faith as a grain of mustard seed, get ready to move a mountain. God hears the prayer of faith. Let me give you some biblical purposes for sickness real quick, because this is kind of a controversial, controversial subject. Some people would like for us to believe that, you know, uh, all sickness is because of uh, sin. Uh, not true. Let me prove it to you. Number one, one biblical pur- purpose of sickness is to glorify God. To glorify God. Let me show you scripture here. Scripture teaches here, on the screen, you got it? You need me to tell you which one it is? Uh, John 9. Here it is. And his disciples asked him. Okay, Jesus, his disciples asked Jesus, got this blind man. He's, he's been blind since birth. Hey, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? Look at this blind guy, poor fella. Wicked reprobate. Who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God said, I have taken a young man and inflicted him with a, with a blindness so that I would get glory when I touched him and healed him. So get ready. Here we go. Amen. And God healed him and God got the glory. We watched, we watched God do that with Mark Brown on two different occasions. He's still here, alive, helping me in the baptistry. We all know there's a day that one day we'll go to heaven to be with Jesus, but it's not Mark's time yet. Thank you, Jesus. And we've prayed over him and we've seen God raise Mark up. To this day, Kim Moore will tell you that God raised his wife up in answer to prayer the first time. And then the second time he healed her by calling her home. By the way, that's the best kind of healing there is. Nevertheless, it's to glorify God. Number two, to teach us humility. God sometimes... We go through sickness so God can humble us. Look at what Paul said. Paul said, so to keep me from being conceited. Man, I was just, I was struggling. I thought I was something else. And and God had to humble me. So because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Sometimes God just has to humble us. And we go through stuff to be humbled by God. And he loves us that much. Thirdly, to refine our character. That was Job. Job wasn't... In fact, God described Job as being a perfect man. One that that loved God and stayed away from evil. I mean, Job's friends tried to accuse him of of, of being sinful and wicked. but, But what did God say about Job? Look at it. But he knows the way that I take when he has tried me. I shall come forth as God. I know why I'm going through this because God is going to make me a better man. I think that was my wife's sickness. I don't think my wife was sick because of sin. I think she was sick because God was working in her to build her faith and her character in God. But some sickness is actually because of sin, okay? And we study that every time we take the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at it. Let a person examine himself. Let him examine himself before he eats and before he drinks of the cup. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks himself on judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and even some of you have died. This is Paul speaking to the church, saying some of you in the church, you're sick, you're not feeling well, and we've had some die because they just won't deal with their sin. So see, it is, it can be because of sickness. There's, there's many biblical purposes for sickness. Now, let me give you four points on sickness. Number one, God does not make us sick or give disease except as a consequence of sin. That's it. And understand that. The effects of sin are visiting themselves randomly on the creation. It rains upon the just and upon the unjust. It's just life. Number two, God does use every hardship we have and we face for our good. Amen? Everything we go through, every hardship, every pain, all the suffering, all the heartache, every bit of it. God loves us so much that he will not allow those things to be used for anything but for our good. You are good, good, so good. Amen. You say, yeah, but what about this? God's good. Yeah, but what about this that happened? God's good. There's not one thing that I've ever had happen to me that God did not use it for my good. Number three, God does heal people to bring glory to his name or to relieve a trial that gets too heavy. You know why? Because God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that there's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape. God will relieve you when it gets too heavy. God says, no, no, no. That's, that's all they can handle. That's enough. That's good, isn't it? God's good. Number four, we don't know when God desires to heal. We just don't know. When it comes to sickness, I, I, you know, it's hard to know how to pray that prayer, isn't it? Sometimes someone's got stage four cancer and it's hard to pray for because you just don't know. Is God going to promote them to heaven? Because that's not a bad thing for a believer. Or is God going to touch them? So here's what we pray. For the will of God. For the will of God to be done. Now here's what I want to do. It's 12.04. I finished early because I want to have some prayer. You know, church, I, uh, I don't know how many people here need physical healing or emotional healing. But as we worship in just a moment, I want to make this a house of prayer. I've asked our elders... Butch, would you come? And Robert, you come. And Doug, you come. And I brought my oil. And we did this this morning in the first service. We had a, a great response. I mean, these guys have never done this here with me before. This is new to us. And we're not going to turn this into some kind of a strange thing. I don't. I think after the message, everybody would have to say, yeah, preacher. I mean, it does say to anoint those who are sick and suffering with oil. If you have a physical need or an emotional need we just in a moment when we stand we want you to, to come forward now we're not going to take very long and I realize that um, that it's Sunday morning kids in the nursery and buses that need to run to take kids home I understand that but for about 10 minutes while they're singing through a song of invitation I would like to invite all those that just need special prayer man we had some powerful things happen this morning in a crowd about a third of the size of this and so I, I would imagine with this many people, there, there would be more needs. That's why I've got more elders. 
And just, if you would quickly tell us what that need is. I had one lady come this morning and say she has a thyroid that's causing her all kinds of problems. And she just said, would you pray for God to take care of that? Had one lady call me and tell me that she, had one lady come forward in tears. And she said, I'm tired of losing my temper with my kids. I'm so angry. Would you pray that God would help me to, to have more temper? That was beautiful. And we prayed. And it was so sweet. That was emotional. It wasn't physical. It was emotional. This is what I'm talking about. And I'm not asking you to make a line outside into the parking lot. We're just new at this. This is, this is new for us. I've never done this before. I mean, for, for the Brooklyn Tabernacle, it was every Tuesday night. They, they still do it. You can get a ticket tomorrow, fly to Brooklyn, and you'll see the line come in. It's beautiful. I'm not saying I want to repeat what they're doing. I'm not saying I want to copy them. All I want to do is find out What's it look like for us? Could we, could we become a house of prayer? Or is that going to be too spooky? Is that going to, is that going to mess somebody up? Is that going to make you uncomfortable? If it does, it might be a good thing. Because sometimes we get really satisfied and we get really just kind of secure in where we're at, and, 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 we, and God can't stretch us, and He wants to. So I'm going to pray. If you have a need, these are the elders minus Dave Chittum. He was here this morning we'll pray with you and then we'll dismiss I promise I won't keep you long and if the line is still there we'll dismiss everybody else and finish praying with those in line is that okay guys we'll do that okay father Lord just before we stand and begin to pray with folks in our church that have physical needs or emotional needs maybe even someone who needs to be saved maybe they they just need to come and say I've never trusted Christ I need to be saved today if that's the need Lord may they come and Father, the rest of us will just enjoy the worship time. And we'll pray as we stand and just seek your face and sing praises. But Father, I do pray that, Lord, you would lead those who need that, that special prayer to make their way down the aisle. And, and feel like this is, this is the will of God. This is a house of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?